get any younger, Debbie. Okay. Probably the most the most important question a person has to answer is is found in Mark chapter eight. And in Mark chapter eight, Jesus is is, is with his disciples, and at one point um, he asked them, um, "Who do men say that I am?" Uh, and they responded with with several things. So I want to ask us this morning, ask you this morning, if someone and this is audience participation time. If someone were to ask you, who is Jesus? God? Son of God? What's that? Lord and Savior. Okay. Um, there, there is a, there is a, uh, a description that um, is, is one of John's favorites that typically doesn't come to mind when we think of who Jesus is. And, and the reason I'm, I'm covering this today is uh, because well, we're, we just finished our, our series in, in 2 Timothy, but again, um, I'm, I'm just finding a, a lot of um, discouragement in the church and defeatist in, attitude in the church. That it, It's interesting, a little bit of, um, a little bit of trials <laughs> in America... And we and we fall apart, it seems, and and you know everything's coming un- unglued, and 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 it certainly seems like that sometimes. So so just understand my 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 goal this morning is to encourage us in, in all that that we face, not just as a country, but certainly as a world. And and it really stems from who is Jesus, uh, which seems like a very basic question, but I think uh, hopefully this morning. Maybe it will shed some new light on it. If you would turn to 1 John. Near the end of the New Testament. 1 John. Chapter 4. First John 4:14. John says, "And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world." John describes Jesus as Savior of the world. Now that phrase is again what we call a genitive. So what does it mean, Savior of the world? It can be objective genitive, subjective genitive. Is it a Savior that the world produced? Or is world the object? Is the world the subject of the Savior? Or is world the object? It, clearly, it's the object. Jesus is Savior of the world. No, He is the Savior to the world. Get that out of the way. And notice that the, the apostolic testimony was that Jesus is the save, not just the Savior, but the Savior of the world. That's His mission. What is his mission? To save the world. Now it's interesting in our in our English translations, uh, typically the word world is used for a number of Greek words. For instance, 
there's a Greek word that's called aeon. And it's probably most, um, it would be best translated in our English translation as age. Um, so that's one that, that frequently our, our, our English translations will translate aeon as world, but it really means age. So, in, for instance, in 2 Corinthians 4, it says Satan, the, the devil is the god of this world. It, the, the, it's aeon. He's the god of this age, not this world. Age being a world system as opposed to God's created world. Another, another Greek word that is typically just translated as world in our, in our English translations is a fancy word called oikomeno. Oikomeno has the, 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 uh, the implication of inhabited earth or a political region. For instance, in Luke 2, 1, when it says a census went out that all the world was to you know, re- re- respond to the census, that is oikomeno. It's, it's, it's the inhabited earth. He didn't mean South America and you know, Alaska. and He meant the inhabited earth, which would be Roman Empire. And obviously the third one is cosmos. This is the one that's most common. Cosmos would be all of his created order. Mankind and, and his created universe. And so the question is, which one is found in 4.14? It is cosmos. He came to be the savior of the world. And it's interesting to me that his mission was the world, meaning cosmos, which meaning all of mankind and the earth. But his identity is said to be what? A savior. The savior. The actual savior. Not potential savior. Not a, 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 a savior that offers himself. But the question we have to wrestle with when we read 1 Corinthians 4.14, is he really the Savior, and is he really the Savior of the world? Let me give you an example. Uh, you go to vacation, you go on vacation to Florida, and you're down on the beach, and you see this plaque, this bronze plaque, and on this plaque it says, Lifeguard Billy Smith. Savior of Sally Jones. And so you ask a local there, say, what's the story? That did Billy Jones will obviously save? Or, or, or what did I say? Billy Jones? I'm kidding. That Billy Smith saved Sally Jones? Uh, well, she's dead. They said, well, she's dead. Oh, you mean she? something happened to her after? He said, no, she drowned. But he tried to save her. What sense would it make to put a plaque up saying Billy Smith, savior of Sally Jones, if he didn't really save her? He tried to, but he didn't really save her. It, well, that would make no sense. So we, when, we, when we look at this phrase, savior of the world, and say, well, we know he's really not going to save everyone. So why, in what sense, then we call him savior of the world? It's not just 1 John 4.14. Turn, if you will, to the Gospel of John. John chapter 12. Savior of the world. Not tried to save, not like Billy Smith. Tried to save Sally, but she drowned. 
John chapter 12, verse 47. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to do what? To save who? The world. Notice he says, I, did, I didn't come to judge, I came to save. And oftentimes, what is our message? It's just the opposite. In fact, if three, turn now to John three sixteen and 17. He said, again, as you're turning there in 1247, he says, I didn't come to judge. I came to save the world. The world. Not some of the world, but the world. John 3.16, we all know this and right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we stop there. But it goes on, verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth is not not is he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus did not come to condemn and to judge. Why? They were all, we were already judged. We were already already condemned. He's, the, the, the apostolic testimony is that Jesus came to save, not to judge, not to condemn, because we already stood condemned. We were born condemned. David said we were conceived in sin. We were conceived condemned. And so I thought, God sent his son in the world to save the world? I wonder what that means in Greek. And here it is. Here, here's, what it, here's what it means in Greek. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Here's the question. Will he accomplish that mission? Or do we view Christ and we view this statement kind of as Billy Smith? Well, he's going to try to save. He's going to do his best to save. But man has free will... We know that not everyone's going to believe, so no, that's not what it says. The apostolic testimony is that Jesus came to save the world, to actually save the world. Will he fail to accomplish it? Because we can, we can, we can trifle with these words, which is what Christians often do with the Bible. Is, is when the Bible says things like this, we, 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 we look at our experience and we say, well, that can't be true. So we, we start changing what words mean. We start trifling with words in the text. Well, world doesn't mean everyone. It just simply means most or those who respond. Or I'm going to caution us about, I guess the best way is trifling with the words of God. Is he the savior of the world? Will he accomplish that mission or will he not? 
The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, and what we have to deal with is, will He ultimately accomplish that or won't? Will He fail? Are we, are we really saying that Jesus could fail in that mission? If He is, or if He does fail in that mission, in what sense then does the Scripture call Him the Savior of the world? Unless somehow, somewhere, at some time, sometime around here and in His cosmos, you have a saved world. I just don't see any other way around it. Unless you want to trifle with the word world. Cosmos. Let me repeat it. Jesus can't be called Savior of the world unless somehow, somewhere, at some time in his global mission, there's going to be a saved world. This is the apostolic witness. Is it ours? Is this our witness? So inevitably what people say is, I look at my world and I, man, we see abortion, we see LBGTQ, you know, this alphabet nonsense. We see a war, a horrific war in Europe and in Ukraine. We see wokeism and PC. It seems like the, the, the world is just crumbling around us. And let, let, me, let me respond by that first. That's not exegesis. God has called us to walk by faith, not by sight. We don't interpret the Bible based on what we see out there. And it's bad. I mean, on the other hand, we're not to face our world in a kind of in a Buddhist mindset, you know, where, where, where we're just going to pretend there's no bad things going on. There's horrific things going on. We're not Pollyanna in, in, our, in our view of the world. It's bad. And it's bleak. But, but I, want you to, I want you to think maybe uh, in terms of this. Um, I, I, uh, the other night I was sitting in my living room and I looked. We don't, we don't hardly watch. Well, we never watch our TV anymore. And, and under our TV we have a, the, the DVD series for Band of Brothers. And... Uh, I remember watching that, and, and I heard stories like when they, when they stormed Normandy Beach, that there were World War II vets that had to leave the theater because it was so realistic. Um, so here, here's what I thought of. So, so you're, you're uh, how, many of you, how many of you have seen that, Band of Brothers on Normandy Beach? It, it, okay. Um, Let's say that, that we're on Normandy Beach, and we, we, the, the, uh, the, the landing craft door opens up, and suddenly... We're, we're under fire. Bullets are, are flying around, and we rush, and, and we, we, we rush onto the beach, and now we're pinned down on the beach. What was their mission? Their mission was to what? Defeat Hitler and liberate Europe. That was their mission. So if you were to go on, when those soldiers were on the beach, or let's say you're on the beach... And you're hiding behind one of those things and, and people are dying all around you and there's bullets flying everywhere. Someone said, you are going to defeat Hitler. You're going to liberate Europe. What would you say? What are you talking about? I can't even. What are you talking about? I can't even get off the beach. 
And in fact, many men didn't make it off the beach. They died. The commander said, we are going to liberate Europe. We're going to defeat Hitler. And while they were on that beach, I guarantee you they're going, there's no way. There's no way. I can't even get off the beach. And many again, many of them didn't. Here, here's, here's what I think. We need to make sure that we don't confuse, confuse the overall mission or the overall objective with a local battle. In other words, you can lose your life and yet your, your, uh, your country still win the battle. You can lose battles and ultimately still win the war. But when we are in the battle and we're on that beach and we think of, of what, what, what the overall objective is and the mission is, depending upon what's going on around us, we can't let that us determine whether we will be successful or not. Now think of not just a human commander who's saying our goal or our mission is defeat Hitler and liberate Europe, but a God, our infinite God, creator God saying, I sent Jesus to be the savior of the world. And we go, there's no way. No way. I probably won't see it. I, I'm, I'm, I probably won't make it off the beach. Maybe my children will. Maybe my grandchildren will. At the end of God's mission, if, if the phrase Savior of the world is, is meaningful at all, it seems as though at the end of God's mission, there will be a saved world. Now, no doubt, make no mistake about it, hell is real. Rebellion is real. Those who don't trust in Christ will go there. Um, I'm, I'm not suggesting, as the, the, the famous Catholic theologian Hans Kuhn once said in Vatican II, when he said, uh, he was asked, uh, do you believe that hell is real? He said, yes, I do but I believe that it will forever remain empty. That's not what I'm suggesting the Bible is teaching. But it seems to me that if we take language seriously, for Jesus to be called the Savior of the world, again, at somehow, somehow, somewhere, at some time, there has to be a saved world. Otherwise, he's just Billy Smith. He got a nice plaque, but Sally drowned. If you look at the last 2,000 years of church history, of world history, the, the whole mission, God's global mission, is astoundingly encouraging. You know, oftentimes we're, we're, we're like the children in a, in a car when they take a trip. Say, we're going to go to Disneyland. And, they, and you get in the car and you start going down I-70 and they go, are we there yet? Hundred miles down the road. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No. If you look at the last two thousand years, the, the, the twelve disciples, when they when they when they were sent out, and Jesus has 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 ascended to the Father, and Pentecost has happened, and they are sent out. Um, every, if, they, if you were to say to them in two thousand years. 
this, this gospel will have spread over the entire planet. Philip Jenkins in his book, A New Christendom, talks about this. He talks about the spread of the gospel. You know, you know what the number one threat to Islam is? Christianity. How, how does Islam, how is Islam designed to spread? Through conquest. Submit or what? Or die. That doesn't work anymore. You know, Islam is, is for the most part is growing. They're having eight, nine, ten kids. But when you, you know, Tom can attest this week. Paul's been here, so our, our missionaries from Africa. You can't keep up with the growth. We can't keep leadership for the growth. Our greatest, probably our greatest threat, obviously, in America is, is, is secularism in all of its various forms. What's the greatest threat to secularism? Christians. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. Now, South America. And, and I know that, that people lament the fact that, well, the, 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 the growth of the gospel in South America is, is, is profound. And people say, yeah, but it, it, you know, they're, half of them are charismatic. And they're, listen, let me ask you. If you had 10,000 people over in a country suddenly come to know Christ, what do you have? Baby Christians. You have an immature church. And they're going to be fruity. And, 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 and they're, going to, they're, going to, they're not going to have all their T's crossed and all their I's dotted. And, and that's the maturation process. And that's when we're called to disciple all nations. Uh, we, we had 17 get baptized in Rahatwe, in this little village of Rahatwe. Do you think they, they can tell you what the Trinity is? Do, they, do you think they can tell you what the role of women in the church is? There is much to be encouraged about. God's kingdom is growing and has grown for 2,000 years. And, 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 and suddenly, things take a turn for the worse, and, and suddenly now we are pinned down on the beach, and now we're ready to desert or to give up, surrender. But the, the Bible says that God sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. Not some of the world, but the world. At somewhere, at some time, before this is all over, the Bible tells me there's going to be a saved world. 1 John chapter 2. Go back to 1 John, if you would. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the what? whole world. Propitiation is a fancy word for turning away of God's wrath. It's not... It's actual, not potential. There's no condition placed here. And again, I, I, I'm so amazed at how often we, we treat the language in the Bible so differently than we do any other context in our lives. 
You say, well, well, world really doesn't mean the world. It means the elect. And I think that it includes that. Well, it just means the world meaning those who eventually respond. That's what world means. The whole world, those who actually respond. It's interesting. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, what he say? Behold, the Son of God who does what? Who takes away the sins of the world. Somewhere, at some time, somehow, we're going to have a saved world. Or the Bible is just a bronze plaque. Now, there are two groups in the church, two primary groups. Group one, they trifle with the election texts. They, they want to explain away God's divine election. And they, um, grace is not effectual, but it's conditional, based on libertarian free will. So they have, they, they embrace and they love the world text, although they, they don't even believe that it's really all the whole world. It's just those who exercise their libertarian free will. So they have a wide bridge that only goes across the chasm halfway. It's wide, it's the world, but only goes across halfway. Then there's another group. They trifle with the world texts, with texts that talk about the world. And it's interesting, First John 2.2 I remember when I was wrestling with, with these issues and, and, and trying to, to reconcile the biblical texts, I, I read a famous author by the name A.W. Pink. A.W. Pink said, well, the world here, here means elect, to save the sins of the elect. The group one says, save, save those who ultimately exercise their free will. Um, so this group... They trifle with the world texts. It really doesn't mean the whole world. In fact, both groups really trifle with the world. They, they don't believe it means the whole world. Um, they have the election text. Their, their grace is effectual. Theirs is a narrow bridge that goes all the way across, but it's like one of those, you know, one of those rickety rope bridges you know, that only one or two people can get across, or maybe a zip line. You know. This is what I used to be for a long for a long time. You know the, the, the this notion that um, God only saves thee and me, and I've got my doubts about thee. Theirs is a narrow bridge that goes all the way across, but it's very narrow. Only sixteen really are going to make it. Only sixteen are called in a life. And I ask myself, why can't we see the Bible? Why can't we see that the Bible teaches that there is a wide and expansive bridge, which is the world, that goes all the way across God's calling and God's election? Why do we always interpret, as I used to, interpret God's election as being only a narrow, only a few people are going to make it? Why can't we see the Bible teach that, it, that at some time and somewhere all nations will stream to God? I wasn't going to turn here, but I, 
Turn to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Now, we've already established, a couple of weeks ago, we established biblically what, the, what, what, what constitutes the last days. Remember? Is the time period of between what? His two comings. In history. In these last days, right? It should come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of God from Jerusalem. So, so were we saying physical Zion, physical Jerusalem? No, we are not. Because in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, For ye come not unto the mount that may be touched, that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest, but ye've come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. Micah 4.1 says the same thing. We see Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations. But then, then, then the person would say, but wait a minute, Jim, what about Matthew 7.13 and 14? says, I say unto you that many shall come, or, or I'm sorry, that's chapter 8. Enter ye in at the straight gate, the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there by which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. If you look at the context, Jesus is addressing the Jews who have rejected him. And and in fact, he, he said in John chapter 1, verse 11, he said he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to them, he gave the right to become the children of God. He's, he's, this is not an eschatological text talking about all of, all of God's global mission. In fact, if you turn over to chapter 8, just in the same context, remember four chapters and verses, in chapter 8, verse 10, he says, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel, Talking about the centurion's faith. He said, I, I haven't found this faith in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. He's talking about apostate Israel. He's saying not many, very few of apostate Israel will find because many will flow in, the Gentiles... But the children of the kingdom should be cast out into outer darkness. There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What did God say to Abraham? He said, Abraham, go outside and look up in the skies. 
And look at the stars. What did he say? So shall your descendants be. We now know that there are probably more galaxies than stars that he could have seen. In fact, uh, Revelation 7, 9. You don't have to turn there. John said, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number. By the way, before chapter 9, he's talking about, remember the 12,000 in this tribe? This, this is what I saw. He said, this, I heard the number of them which were sealed. 12,000 tribe of Judah, 12,000, 12,000, 144,000. And then he said, After this, after I heard this, Lo, I saw a great multitude which no man could number of all nations, kindred, and people, tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb. The Bible speaks of the vast number of the redeemed. In fact, he said, basically God is saying, you're going to need a Hubble telescope to see all of the redeemed of God when it's all said and done. God's salvation of the world for every nation, every tribe, every tongue, over time and in his time, is going to be effectually accomplished. At some point, somewhere, somehow, we have to have a saved world, or, or we're going to have to trifle with the words, Savior of the world. And I think that we can take at faith, I don't have a list, faith value, that all the world passages and all the elect passages, we can embrace both and put them all together and what you have is a glorious consummation of God's global mission to defeat Satan and to liberate mankind. In conclusion, look with me now at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This great chapter on resurrection and life. We'll start in verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, for so in Christ shall all be made alive. Savior of the world. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ that is coming. Then cometh the end. With the end, when he shall have, del- when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed at death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted which did not put all things under him. But he says, then comes the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God as Savior of the world. After he has put down all rule, all authority, and all power. That's the mission. We're on the beach. 
We're pinned down right now. God will accomplish his mission to be saved of the world. At somewhere, somehow, sometime, he will in fact be savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, we, we live life not trying to get Jesus elected. We are to proclaim that he is already king. We are here to proclaim that he is savior of the world. Not of a precious few, but of the world. And somewhere, sometime, somehow. And while we can't possibly fathom that, and while we may have theological traditions that prevent us from believing that, and while we have been taught otherwise, we must deal with this language of Savior of the world. God, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. We have much to be thankful and encouraged about. This is not a time, Father, for us to give up and lay down our weapons and surrender. Or worse, to desert. But Lord, we are to Continue doing those things that you've called us to do and to be. To be faithful husbands and faithful wives, faithful moms and faithful dads. To go to work, to worship, to fellowship, to share the gospel. And these are the tools, these are the things that you have used and will continue to use to bring about the glorious consummation of your global mission which is to be the Savior of the world. May we be found faithful. May we be found believing in what you've taught us in your word. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would please stand and join hands.